Welcome to the Developing Leaders Impacting Kids podcast, a podcast all about sharing ideas, tips, and strategies to help you develop as a Kidman leader. Thanks for listening to today's episode, featuring a favorite presentation from one of our training experiences. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org slash children. All right. Well, I'm excited to be able to uh, talk with all of you uh, this evening. I know we probably have people from all over the globe joining uh, because your your church, your denomination, your movement has uh, far-reaching tentacles, and you're doing great stuff all around the world. Uh, I'm thankful for the partnership uh, that I've been able to have over the years with the Church of God of Prophecy. I've been able to speak uh, at your summit a few times and uh, just always enjoy being able to talk to your leadership and uh, to be able to hear what God's doing. So I wanted to go ahead and just jump right in with what we're going to talk about uh, this evening, which is a a pretty uh, really relevant topic. Um, And that is how should the church uh, respond to culture? Um, You know, the, the Christian church itself has been uh, really a cornerstone of American life for centuries. And uh, a lot, though, has changed in the last uh, 30, 35 years. Um, Americans are certainly attending church less. Uh, more people believe that you really don't have to attend a church in order to be a Christian. Uh, they're spiritual, but they just don't want to have anything to do with the church. Uh, the children uh, that each of you are ministering to uh, they're growing up in a, in a time when, you know, the United States is filled with a lot of skepticism and, and cynicism toward the church. And when you add to all of that, uh, kind of the, the broader secularizing trend that's in American culture and the growing antagonism really up towards anything of faith, you, you would not be hard pressed to say that these are very uncertain times for the church of the United States. Uh, Now, I don't have to rattle off a a list of statistics to convince you that we're living in an ever-changing culture. And it's not just the United States. It's all around the world. Uh, It's becoming less and less a Christian uh, culture and more and more a secular culture in the public square. And the children uh, in your ministry, uh, especially those of you in in the United States, they're, they're facing great pressure uh, from louder voices and from more directions than than you or I ever faced when we were their age. And, and really, it's, it's very alarming. Uh, there's a lot of children who are confused by uh, the mixed messages that they're hearing every day. And uh, the church tells them one thing, but then they go to school or they hang out with their friends in the neighborhood and they hear something completely different. Uh, they, many of them just don't know what to do. They don't know how to respond. They don't know where to turn for the answers to the burning questions that they have about the pressing issues of our day. So the question is, what do we do? You know, we're the church as the church of Jesus Christ. What do we do when we're faced with a completely anti-Christian and anti-God? Well, there's a lot of choices that we could make, a number of reactions that we could choose when surrounded by a sinful culture. Certainly we could hide from it. Uh, That's something we can do. Uh, But that's that's kind of the proverbial head in the sand play. You know, Christians 
who choose to just hide from culture. Uh, they generally think that, you know, culture is so worldly and so wicked that the only way to preserve their spiritual purity is to avoid participating in the culture at all, as much as possible. You know, these, these Christians will have talks with other Christians just complaining about how secular the culture is. And, you know, they may simply try to cocoon themselves apart from it. But in any case, they don't want to have anything to do with culture. They want to hide from it. They don't engage their non-Christian co-workers or their neighbors. Uh, they're more likely to kind of not allow their children to even be friends with someone who isn't from the church. I don't have any problem with homeschooling, but you find a lot of people choosing to do the homeschool thing, not because it's the best choice for their child, but because they just want to protect them from being even remotely influenced by a secular culture. They believe that as Christians, we should do our best to, quote, come out from among them and be ye separate. Now, I understand that is a scripture. I do stand by that. And I know that the Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about when he said that. But I'm not sure that burying our head in the sand is what he had in mind. Now, there's another reaction that the church can have, and often they do. And that is that you can choose to criticize it. You can criticize the culture. And uh, people in the church who choose to criticize usually do so loudly and obnoxiously. You've seen them. Uh, these are the people who just post these rants on their Facebook page about how evil this world is and how this world just needs a good Holy Ghost revival. And of course, I agree, the world needs a Holy Ghost revival. But those who criticize culture, and that's their only tactic, they often blur the lines between spiritual and political. You're probably, with this whole Supreme Court thing going on, you've seen quite a bit of it in your Facebook feed from Christian friends and even leaders that you know. They're quick to announce that they're boycotting the, the latest company that supports gay marriage or the latest movie that reportedly has a gay character in it. And a lot of times we find out that that was just a rumor and not even true. Uh, but Christians in this group, when they criticize it, they usually are looking down their noses at culture. They're taking this superior attitude toward what's going on in, in the society in general. And they engage in what's called culture wars, where they're fighting to protect their own culture against what they see as an enemy culture. Now, here's the thing. Sadly, Christians who choose this often communicate their disapproval of culture in a very unkind and arrogant way, more often than they realize. They like to point out what's wrong in the culture around them and why their way is better. And all the while, their unsaved next-door neighbor reads their angry Facebook posts and thinks to themselves, you know, if that's what a Christian's like, I'm not sure I want any part of it. Another reaction to culture that sometimes Christians choose in the church often does is that they just choose to go along with it. And that's obviously at the complete opposite spectrum, uh, end of the spectrum from the first two groups. Uh, these are Christians who actually take their lead from culture. They're very much influenced by culture. Uh, they don't have the critical spirit of the two previous groups. 
In fact, these Christians may never even have taken the time to examine culture from a biblical perspective. They're so enamored and and influenced by the sinful culture around them that they prefer to avoid that hard work and potential conflict of doing things differently from the mass of humanity. They choose to endorse and even embrace pretty much whatever's going on in society. This is dangerous for the church to do. As author Russell Moore wrote, he said, a church that loses its distinctiveness is a church that has nothing distinctive with which to engage the culture. And a worldly church is of no good to the world. I mean, I could not agree more. A worldly church is of no good to the world. If you've lost your saltiness, how can you possibly be the salt of the earth? Now, there is a fourth option. (laughs) And the fourth group is what I believe is the answer to the question of how should the church respond to culture? I believe we should engage and transform it. You see, rather than hiding and keeping yourself separated from culture and trying to criticize and shame the culture, or certainly rather than jumping right in and just joining along with the culture, Christians should try to engage and transform culture. That is, infuse it with the truth and values of Jesus. Now, Christians who choose to do this, these are Christians who understand that they've got to engage their non-Christian neighbors, their co-workers, and other members of culture in order to lovingly introduce Jesus and his values to them. These are Christians who uh, live and they work with the vision of being that salt and light that Jesus talked about. They intentionally And that's a key word. It's on purpose. They intentionally work to transform culture by representing Jesus in everything that they do. Now, they do so kindly, but strongly and unapologetically. You see, this is the kind of response to culture that we are called to have as the church. We're not called to sit and stew on social media. We should be engaging lost people with the love and the message of Jesus. Now, I just want to take a little moment because while I'm on the subject, I got to ask, why in the world do so many Christians think that they are actually doing the work of God by being negative, pessimistic, critical people on social media? Rarely a day goes by that I don't see uh, social media tweets and posts from Christians I read them and I wonder, did they even take a nanosecond to think about what non-Christians who see or read this will think? I even shudder when I see some Facebook posts by pastors and leaders. Now, I don't know why it is this way, but for some reason, for Christians, when something happens in life that irritates you or bothers you, you immediately take to social media to just vent your frustration. Years ago, people would use a diary for that. They would open it up, write all their thoughts, close it, lock it, and put it away where nobody else would read it. But now, instead of a diary, people just take zero time to think before they post something. Something happens, they immediately pull out their phone, and they fire off this angry rant about their coworker, their family member, society, or the government. The sad thing is, I don't think some Christians understand that when you post on social media, People form their perception of you 
and often their perception of Jesus from that post. And you may only have two or three of your close friends in mind when you post that rude statement about the person who didn't serve you exactly right in the drive-thru, but there are hundreds of people who see it. Not only your friends, but the friends of your friends on Facebook, they also see it. Now, I just want to make a bold statement here and say some people need to just cancel their social media accounts and go buy a diary. And the church said, amen. But anyway, that's out of the way. I'll move on. Um, You know, as a children's pastor, family pastor, kids ministry leader, whatever your title may be, you're probably asking yourself, what am I supposed to do? You know, how can I transform culture in the role that I'm in? Well, I'll tell you how. Sitting right in front of you every single week are some of the biggest change agents for culture that you could ever hope for. The kids in your church, in your ministry, they are going into the mission field, the public school, every single day. So how can you, in your role, respond to a culture that's hostile to the gospel? Well, I want to give you a couple thoughts. First of all, you've got to be proactive, not reactive. Be proactive, not reactive. On Friday, June 26, 2015, some of you know what happened that day, but the Supreme Court of the United States, they determined that marriage between homosexual couples would be legally recognized in all 50 states. Now, no doubt at that time, uh, the kids in your church were hearing about it, you know, both on TV, uh, on the playground, at home, wherever. And I remember that weekend, I had so many children's pastors uh, that were friends of mine texting me and saying, what are you, what are you going to say this weekend, Brian? Uh, well, we got to say something. We got to respond, you know, and we got to post something on social media. We got to talk about it. Now, I understand the sentiment. I mean, after all, uh, you want to tell your kids the truth and that the way you diffuse the effect of a lie is to declare the truth, right? See, if you don't want your children to believe the lies of the society around them, then you got to make sure they know the truth. And that truth comes from the Word of God. It's our guidebook for living. The problem is we should not be waiting until after a crisis hits society to start telling our kids the truth. We should be proactive, not reactive. We should be teaching them the truth before they hear all those lies. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, you can't talk about that in church. You can't bring that up. You know, you can't do that. There's a long-held belief in many circles that the church should not talk about such things. And the belief is that there are certain subjects that should never be mentioned at church. Well, understand me. I think you have to be careful what issues that you're addressing in children's church as a group. But you have to be willing to step out and declare the truth. Just this past Sunday, seriously. I mean, it's great timing here. But just this past Sunday, we had a lesson and I taught the kids about the seventh commandment. You know what that is? Don't commit adultery. Well, you know what I did? Instead of, you know, come up with this, you know, crazy lesson that has very little to do with adultery, I came straight out and I told them all about marriage, what God's plan was for it, that God created male and female, went all the way back to Adam and Eve, and how Jesus said, for this reason, a man will leave his wife and, or man will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. And I told him, hey, God, God designed marriage. He, he created it, and he created it for a man and a woman. Now, society's a little confused. 
And how many of you have ever heard uh, people talk about it's okay for a man to marry another man? It's okay for a woman to marry another woman? Is that what the Bible says? And of course, they all said, no, not at all. I said, no, that's not God's plan. So instead of going by what society says, we're going to go by what the Word of God says. We're going to choose to follow God's plan for marriage. And I told them, hey, you're not, you're not getting married for years and years and years. But you don't wait until you get there before you learn how to do it God's way. And so I went on to tell them that marriage is a, a, a picture of what God has, uh, you know, his love. It's a, a symbol of God's love. And we talked about that and how, uh, you know, the way that Jesus loves the church is the way a husband should love his wife. We went through all of that stuff. And ultimately, I said, you know what that really means? That means we're going to be faithful and we're to be faithful to our promise for life. See, I use the opportunity to hit a lot of things. And I talked to him. I said, and some of you have known people whose families have been broken up because a husband decided he wanted a girlfriend because his wife wasn't uh, nice enough to him. Or a wife said she wanted a boyfriend because her husband just wasn't making her happy anymore. And so she wanted, and that split the family up. Well, we don't want that. Not only for your families, we don't want that for your marriage in the future. So we prayed that God would help them be strong husbands, strong wives. Later in the future, I prayed a prayer over all of the people they would marry. And, and, and each one of them, that God would lead them to exactly the spouse he had for them. Now you say, well, man, that's too, that's too heavy for kids. Not at all. They got it. They prayed fervently, and it was a very powerful God moment. Now, I do understand that there are very sensitive issues that you you, you got to be careful not to address as a group. You know, there's a lot of children at different points in the journey regarding both mental and emotional maturity. So when you address something as weighty and serious as homosexuality, gay marriage, uh, any sexual anything, uh, it's very difficult to do so in a way that's appropriate for every child. We're very, very careful. We told the parents ahead of time what we were going to be talking about. We let them know exactly what we were going to say. See, these sensitive cultural topics are difficult ones for kids to wrap their heads around. And even though it's becoming more commonplace and a topic they're hearing more and more about, it's also very polarizing. So we don't ever want to shy away from the truth. We want to be proactive, but we also have to be wise and careful when dealing with the youngest among us because we want clarity in these issues, not confusion. So not only should you be proactive and not reactive, but the second thing that I encourage you to do is equip the parents. Equip the parents. You don't have to be the one to talk about every issue. You got to equip parents to have biblical answers for the tough topics that their kids are facing. This culture is trying to influence them huge. And too often, parents feel as if they're just not qualified to talk about these tough topics with their kids. A lot of parents are very hesitant to take on uh, that role of being a primary spiritual influence in their kids' lives. Uh, he mentioned earlier, Sean did my book, uh, Talk Now and Later. I wrote that as a tool to help parents lead kids through life's tough topics. Um, that book, it went to number one on Amazon, both in English and Spanish. And, and then now it's been turned into a video small group curriculum. Uh, it's, a, it's a package that includes six sessions on video uh, where I am teaching the parents in our church on the topics of how to talk to your kids about God, uh, sex, self-image, divorce, friendships, money, all kinds of topics. 
And uh, every pack comes with uh, the DVDs and, and also has five copies of the book. So I encourage you, uh, you can go to highvoltagekids.com. Uh, you can pick that up. Start equipping your parents to have these important conversations with their kids. You can order a, a ton of those books uh, for a discounted price if you go to talknowandlater.com. Um, so obviously I, I've talked a lot here and, and, and I've talked through a lot of this. I've given you two of the three ways that you can positively engage and transform your culture. First, you got to be proactive, not reactive. Secondly, you got to equip the parents of the kids in your ministry. But the most important thing that you can do is simply this. Be the church. Be the church. Children are watching you during this critical time. The world is watching Christians during this time. And if they see you addressing uh, the, the issues that we face in our culture with anger, bitterness, or God forbid, even hatred in your words or in your tone of voice, that'll be sending a confusing message to them. Because God is love, y'all. God created every single man, woman, boy, and girl, no matter what their particular stance is on an issue right now. God created them all. He loves them all. And you've got to remember that Ephesians 4, 14 through 15 says this, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. You see, that is our mandate. We got to speak the truth, yes, but you better do it in love. Just because the truth of God's word is different from the beliefs of others or the ruling of a court doesn't mean that we should join with others who choose to resort to name calling, picketing, belittling, and hate. Because as the children of God, we need to be careful that our speech, our tweets, our posts are speaking the truth. We got to do that in love. You see, the church should respond in the same way that God instructed the children of Israel in 2 Chronicles 7.14. You know it. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's where it's at. Listen, the church, we can't force others to be humble, but we can be humble. We, we can't make people pray and seek his face, but we can. We can't force people to turn from their wicked ways, but we can and we should clean up our own lives. You see, when we do that, God promises it's then, then when we do that, the church does that, then he'll hear from heaven and heal our land. See, the answer to this world's problems and America's problems is not a picket line. It's not a bunch of angry Facebook posts. It's Jesus. So share Jesus. Share his love. Share the difference he has made in your life. Trust that when we encounter his grace and when we share that with others and when they encounter his grace, then they're going to be changed just like we've been changed. That is how the church should respond to a difficult and anti-God culture. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. To download today's show notes or to learn more about our certification program, training intensives, and institutes of children's ministry, visit our website, cogop.org children. 